All right. Good morning, church. I am so happy to see you. I hope that when you walked in this morning, you got a potato, not a potato. Uh, Everyone get a potato. Who needs a potato? Our worship posts are ready to throw them. Yeah. No, no, Carrie. You can't throw them. You need to receive them. Anyone need a potato? All right. If you you need a potato, grab a potato uh, this morning. If you're watching online, go to your kitchen and grab a potato. Uh, If it's got things growing out of it, even better. That's going to be great. We're in a series... Uh, called Onward, the first series of 2023, and I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, We are in this series, Onward, fixing our gaze forward. We're allowing passion to well up. We're allowing motivation to ignite. I believe that 2023 is the year of progress, urgency, and excellence. Uh, Those Those are wonderful words. Now, for some of you, you may think that progress, urgency, and excellence, it may sound frenetic, (laughs) spastic, uh, overwrought, like just too much, too fast, too soon. Uh, But I hope to reframe your thoughts on those words, progress, urgency, and excellence, because I think of them more as measured, consistent, predictable, and reliable words. You know, when things are done with excellence, you kind of always know what you're going to get. I don't eat at McDonald's anymore now that my kids are not toddlers and I'm not, um, you know, looking for something quick for them and having them scream in the back seat for McDonald's. I don't choose to go there on my own. But the good thing about McDonald's is no matter what McDonald's you go to, if you order a quarter pounder with cheese, it's going to taste like a quarter pounder with cheese. That's excellence, right? Now, there are other factors of excellence, so the cheese may not be the best, or the patty may last for 20 years on your desk. But the fact that you know what you're getting, it's predictable, it's reliable, and and that's what I love about these words, progress, urgency, and excellence. I think it gives depth to the word purpose. I think you can't have purpose without progress. You can't have purpose without urgency. You can't have purpose without excellence. And in 2023, like our church mission statement says, purpose will be awakened and developed. Now, if you're a first-time guest here at the Exchange Church, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Trey. My wife, Carrie, and I are the senior pastors here. We have an incredible team. There's an incredible staff and volunteers and church family. You have happened upon, I believe, the best church on planet Earth. I, I believe it. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> I, I really do believe it because of the people that are here. The people are just so phenomenal. One thing that we're committed to at the Exchange Church is we want to be a place where purpose is awakened and developed. And that's our goal for you. So if you're here for the first time or you're here for year 12, there's always the next step. There's always new purpose to pursue. Last week, I talked to you about the life of Abraham. If you were here or you watched online, um, Abraham held on to hope against all hope, and he trusted the promises of God. Last week, I encouraged us all to hope a little bit. I understand that from 2020 on, our hopes have been, uh, uh, we've been a little shy to hope. 
I, I get it. We've hoped for things and seen them slip away. But last week, I encouraged us all to let hope arise again, to get your hopes up. Well, today, as we press onward, we still need hope, but I want to move beyond hope to the concept of faith. Faith and hope are two totally different things, and I want to talk about faith today as we look at the life of Abraham again. Our text today is the beginning of Abraham's faith journey. We read a portion of this last week, but would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Starting with verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram is pre-Abraham. He's going to be Abraham, but for now he's Abram. God hasn't changed his name. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I love these next three words. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was a ripe old 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. <laughs> then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. The title of my sermon today is Potatoes to Promises. Potatoes to Promises. Father, I come before you. I ask that your word would just settle in the room your Holy Spirit would speak to us individually. Whatever our point of need is, whatever it is that we need to receive from you individually, you can do it, God. You can cut this word a hundred different ways and speak something directly to our soul. So God, we, we ask that you have your way. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. You may be seated. Approximately 100 years ago, uh, from 1820, not 100 years ago, but over a span of 100 years, from 1820 to approximately 1930, the population of Ireland shrunk from 8.1 million people to 4.7 million people. That's a, that's a big shrink. Uh, the problem? A potato famine. <laughs> the Irish potato famine, also known as the Great Hunger, began in 1845 when a mold caused a destructive uh, plant disease that spread rapidly throughout Ireland. And the infestation ruined approximately one half of their harvest in the first year. For the next seven years, the Irish lost three quarters, that's 75% of their, their potato farming. 
over the next seven years. And to complicate matters even further, historians tell us that Ireland continued to export, send away large quantities of food, primarily to Great Britain, who they were surrendered to. Great Britain was over Ireland. They were exporting tons of food to Great Britain. And during the potato famine, livestock and butter increased in export. It's crazy to think that the Irish were starving and they were sending the goods that could have solved their issue to somewhere else. Not only was it livestock and butter, though, historians tell us that peas, beans, rabbits, fish, and honey continued to be exported from Ireland even as the great hunger ravaged the countryside. Over one million people died. They died of starvation. What a miserable death. And if it wasn't starvation, it was from disease that was the result of malnutrition. Over one million Irish people died in the great potato famine of the 1800s. Irish people, some three to four million Irish people, then migrated from Ireland to the good old U.S. of A. A number of you sitting in the room today may actually be descendants from those Irish migrants. Any Irish people in the room today? Pointing. Any, any, a few in the back. You actually, sir, look Irish to me with a long beard. Any, any Irish, a, a few in the room. These people, the Irish, they left their homes. They left their extended families. Some of them left their immediate families and took a long journey to an unknown land with the hope that maybe life would be better. Approximately 10% of the United States population today descends from people who took the risk all because of a potato. 10%. Abram, Abraham, followed a journey of migration also. He didn't do it because of a potato famine. He did it, in fact, because it was the call of God on his life to go from point A to point B. Now, we know from last week that Abram waited some 25 years for the promise of God to be seen. He, he was 75 years old when he got a promise that he was going to have a son. Do you, do you remember the story? And it wasn't happening, and so his wife Sarai sent him to be with her maidservant uh, Hagar, and they conceived Ishmael, which, by the way, there are three major religions that point to Abraham. Abraham is a pretty important dude. Uh, the Jews point to Abraham as a founder. Christianity points to Abraham as a founder. And the Muslims point to Abraham as a founder. The, the difference would be that the Muslims in the Quran, they say that the promised son was not Isaac, but Ishmael. Uh, it's an interesting diversion of what we believe as, as Christians. But I, I'm going backwards. Let me get back to 75 years old. My wife is barren, and God has promised me a son. And we learned last week that Abraham had to wait 25 years before Isaac was conceived. He was 100 years old, Sarai was 99, and she was barren. But that wasn't exactly the fulfillment of the promise. I mean, it was a miracle, don't get me wrong. It is a miracle that a 100-year-old man and a 99-year-old barren woman was able to conceive. That is a miracle, but it wasn't the fulfillment of a promise. Because one son hardly makes a nation. 
The promise was that God was going to create in Abraham and through Abraham an entire nation. We know from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, that Abraham died in faith, seeing the promise from afar off. And I really want to zoom in on that initial section where faith was born. I mean, Abraham is so important to all of these world religions. There must be something that you and I can learn from that moment where faith was sparked. And as we look at our passage today, verses 1 through 8 of Hebrews chapter 12, we see that it fits neatly into two categories. The first three verses, in fact, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up and you could just kind of highlight or bracket the first three verses because the first three verses are the call of God. It's God calling Abraham. And then the next verses, four through eight, is actually the response of Abraham to the call of God. And there are some insights that we can learn from today's text that I hope you'll take notes on today. I provided notes when you walked in. But the place where faith began, where Abraham's faith began, where our faith begins, is the strange providence of God's call. The strange providence of God's call. When God calls us, it's a little strange. Can I get an amen? I mean, he, he's called us to do some bizarre things. He's called Carrie and I to do bizarre things. He's called your family to do some bizarre things. And you don't know why he's asking you to do those things in the moment, but God always has a reason and a purpose and a plan for what he's asking us to do. But here's one thing we can learn from our life and from the life of Abram is that God's call is always strangely providential. Listen again to verse 1 as we see how the call of God begins. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. God shows up to Abram and says, Hey, Abram, leave everything you're comfortable with and start walking. Don't worry, don't worry about where you're going. When you get there, I'll let you know. That's strange. Wouldn't you agree? It's a strange call on the life of Abraham. And it may feel a bit abrupt. And that's because it is. It's an abrupt call. But I want to go back a little bit to give you context. Let's skip back one chapter to chapter 11. These verses aren't going to be on the screens today, but I provided them in your handout. It's Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died, so Abram's brother died. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Wait a minute. Nahor married his niece, who was the daughter of Haran. Just making sure that we get this. Oh, and Abram married his stepsister. Okay, good. Sounds like a family God wants to use. Now Sarai was barren. She has no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son 
Abram's wife, and they went forth together from the Ur of Chaldeans to go, look at this, to go into the land of Canaan. They were headed to the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, Haran the place, not the person. So Abram has a brother, Haran, who died, but they're headed to a place, Haran. Don't get them mixed up. They're in the place, Haran, and they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So these verses introduce us to Abram, okay? I I get it. There's nothing glaringly obvious about why God would choose Abram. I mean, I went back to check. I'm thinking, surely Abram is this incredible, wonderful, like prestigious man. He's got to be this like provocative prophet. He's got to be something, right? God, God is giving him the promise of a lifetime, but I'm, I'm reading the history here, and I see a lot of uh, mothers, brothers, marrying sisters, and cousins going on, and that's about the only very interesting thing I can find on the life of Abram. So that tells me that the history of Abram tells me more about God than it does about Abram. So God chose Abram. That tells me one thing. God chooses unlikely candidates. Write that in your notes. Remind yourself. Throw that on your fridge. Write it on your mirror. God chooses unlikely candidates. Most of us have a romanticized view of Abraham. Like he's a gentle man with big bushy eyebrows, long flowing white beard. He's soft and he talks very monotone. After all, he is Father Abraham. Had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. See, these are the people who have been in church way too long. (laughs) Father Abraham. (laughs) I want to put my right foot in, put my right foot out, put my right foot in. Oh, that's the hokey pokey. Never mind. That's not actually the Bible's presentation of Abraham, at least not at this point in his life. He's not a super saint. He's not more righteous than other people in his generation. Here's the one thing that we know about Abram, the man that gets this phenomenal promise. We know that he's a pagan. He's a pagan. He doesn't even worship God. What's going on here, God? You really messed up on this promise. We, we know from Joshua 24 too, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Can we get that on the screen? I want you guys to read along with me. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, who's Terah? Abram's dad. Yeah? Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor. And they served other gods. The they includes Abraham. The dad, the brothers, the sister wives, the everything. They served other gods. So he is an unlikely candidate to get such a big promise. The Bible is filled with unlikely candidates, filled with stories of shepherds and stutterers and 
barren women and fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and a host of other people that are unlikely candidates for the promise of God to rest. We should see this as good news today, church. Because the message of the gospel is not that God is looking for the best and the brightest. God is looking for an unlikely candidate that's just willing to say yes. So big faith doesn't start with a big bank account. It doesn't start with the big education. It doesn't start with big hair. It starts with just saying yes. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter how you've dropped the ball. It, none of that matters because if God can use Abram, God can certainly use you. And if God can use you, he can certainly use me. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I've put it on your notes today. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God chooses unlikely candidates. I hope we got our hopes up last week, but our faith starts to get stirred when we realize that we qualify for big promises. And the next thing I learned about God in Abram's story is that God loves starting with nothing. God loves giving a huge promise to a pagan. <laughs> he loves starting with nothing. We see it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. He started the whole story of Scripture with nothing. Genesis 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and it was void. And the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Nothing does not intimidate God. Nothing does not, it's a little confusing with the double negative. You got to work that one out. Nothing does not intimidate God. Or you could say nothing intimidates God. But nothing does not intimidate God. God delights, he revels in making something out of nothing. So no matter where your marriage is at today, no matter where your parenting is at today, where your kids are, where your education is, where your career is, God revels in making something out of nothing. Remember, Abram is old, Sarah is barren, and God wants to build a nation. In this text, Genesis chapter 12, I've, let me pause for just a moment and, and teach you a quick theological thing, all right? Uh, this is, I like to geek out somewhat. Any, any geeks in the room that want to geek out with me on theology? I've taught before on parallelism, does that word sound familiar to you? Parallelism in Scripture is, you see it a lot in Proverbs, it is when there is a line that says one thing, and the next line 
does one of two things. It echoes it, but just says it a different way. Or it says the complete opposite to bring light to what it had just said. So parallelism just means two things are tied together. They may be saying the same thing or they may say something completely opposite, but it's always just to bring more depth to what Scripture is saying. Does that make sense? In this text that we just read, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, it's a parallelism. And to find the parallel part to it, you have to go back one chapter, and it's not a, an echo, it's, it's a divergent piece of text in uh, Genesis chapter 11, where they're talking about the Tower of Babel. You've heard of Babel, the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11, verse 4, let's see what that says. It says, Then they said, the people wanting to build the city said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So in the Tower of Babel, chapter 11, we see a people that want to build themselves a city. They want to make a name for themselves, and they want to stay put and not be dispersed. Then we know that God comes down, he destroys all of that evil work, and he turns to Abram and he says, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm not going to let you stay here. I'm going to send you. Do you see how it's complete opposite of what just happened in so we know that there is, there is power when we allow God to make our name great rather than us trying to pursue a name of greatness for ourselves. We know that there is power whenever we allow God to send us wherever it is rather than building walls to keep ourselves safe and confine ourselves in our own little comfortable zone. We see here in Genesis chapter 12 that faith is stirred when we surrender our reputation and we surrender our right to a place. Okay? Before God calls Abram in chapter 12, there's one little detail I got to point out. You may have missed it when we first read it, but in, in chapter 11, it's just an amazing piece of information. It says on verse 31, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur to the Chaldeans. And I stressed this when I read it earlier. I said, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. They were going to go to Canaan. Interestingly enough, Canaan is the promise that God is about to give them. But they didn't make it to Canaan. Where did they make it? Haran. Haran was as far as human initiative could carry them. We learn in our text that God gives Abram the land of Canaan, the very place that they were wanting to go. But human initiative could only get them so far. Now listen, the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel is not about God meeting us halfway to fulfill the desires of your heart. That's not the gospel. The story of the Bible is a God who takes the initiative to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's not about God meeting us halfway. It's about God paying the bill. It's about God doing it all. It's about God showing up and we've gone as far far as we can, and he said, I'm going to take you here. Many of us have a hard time believing 
that we contribute nothing to our salvation. I mean, we're talking about faith, and you think faith isn't really faith unless you feel something. Our faith is not in our ability to have faith. For the people in the back or in the front. Our faith is not in our ability to have faith. So Chris, in those moments in the store when you're feeling down and you're feeling frustrated and you're feeling beaten up, your faith isn't tied to that. Your faith is tied to a faithful God who is always present, ever present in any time of need that you have. And so we will find ourselves feeling discouraged and then we will beat ourselves up because real people of faith don't get discouraged. But that's not how faith works. Our faith is not in our ability to carry faith or to have faith. Our faith is in a God who is ever faithful. We actually offer nothing in our salvation experience. We do offer something in our potential. God is obligated to fulfill his promises. He's not obligated to fulfill your potential. So we get to partner with God in our potential. But when it comes to the promises of God, he didn't give you a promise because of how good looking you are. He didn't get, it's hard to believe, I know. He didn't give you a promise because you just come to church 55 Sundays out of a year. It's only, it's only 50. I was just wondering who's listening. He didn't give you a promise because you give 10% and then you throw on an extra 5% because you're just such a generous person. His promises aren't like that. His promises are handed out because he will accomplish his will through someone who will receive a promise. Are you with me? Abram didn't qualify for the promise. Abram was, just happened to be the person that God chose. God chose Abram, and then Abram stepped out on faith because he trusted what God said. We, we offer nothing in our salvation experience. The, the only thing that we offer in our salvation experience, the only thing that we contribute is our sin. We don't contribute our good works. We don't contribute our G-rated movies. We don't contribute our tame tongue. Now, all of these things are, are you know, they, they flow through the life of a believer and you grow into certain things. And from our faith, we develop into certain things, but it's not those things that save us. You don't add anything to your salvation experience. In the 1950s, instant cake mixes were born. Anyone like instant cake mixes? I wish Lawrence were here today. He would just shout and say, are you going to make me one? He loves anything, but he loves cake. Instant cake mixes first appeared on the store shelves in the 1950s, and they had a difficult time selling them. Um, we use instant everything today, so there's no problem with the instant cake mixes. We prefer the instant cake mixes. Many of us do, but the first cake mixes said, just add water. You didn't add milk. You didn't add eggs. Everything was powdered. It was all in the box. It was a, an amazing invention. Just add water and voila, you got a cake. Well, the housewives, the homemakers, they wanted to, you know, add their special touch. So they would just change out the water for the milk. And then they were disappointed whenever the cake wouldn't turn out. They were upset. 
And so these cake mixes weren't selling, and so they called these these women into a focus group. They wanted to know why are these cake mixes not selling, and they asked them, you know, it's so convenient. All you do is add tap water. Why would you not buy this cake? And the women, by and large, responded, what kind of cake just requires tap water? So the company thought for a moment, and they thought, we've got the solution. We're going to change the mixture so that now they have to add two fresh eggs. And they put on the box, instant cake mix, add two fresh eggs, because the women needed to know, and the men, I suppose, if they made the cake, they needed to know that they were helping contribute to make the cake. And so in bold letters, it said, just add eggs. And the instant cake mix was born. Many of us are like those homemakers. We feel the need to contribute to our salvation. If we don't somehow add the two fresh eggs, we're not really making a cake. (laughs) You're not really making a cake anyway. You were given a cake. To really understand grace, we need to understand that salvation is God's work from beginning to end. God delights in beginning with nothing. God tells Abram to leave, and he says, leave his family, his kindred, his nation, his home. And where is he going? To the unknown. God doesn't tell him where he's going. He just says, just go, and when you're there, I'll let you know. God says he'll take him to the land. He's going to show him. And the only thing that Abram knows is what he's leaving behind. That's faith. Whether your land is wonderful or in destruction, whether you have a land that is bountiful or you are in the middle of the worst potato famine ever, it takes faith to leave what you know and to sail across an ocean to where you might have a new start, a new life, a new way of living. What could inspire Abram to follow God's command? The Irish were living in a very difficult situation. So I kind of understand why they may get on the ship and cross over to the United States of America. They were in a potato famine. People were dying. Loved ones were dying left and right, and people were leaving. So I I get the Irish migrating. But what about Abram? We assume that he's wealthy because he acquired so much livestock and people and families that when he moved into Egypt, Pharaoh was notified of all the families that came with Abram. So he had some resources. What would cause Abram to go? We know that it wasn't because of poverty or a plague or a potato famine. What caused Abram to leave? Faith. Hebrews 11, 8, 9 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And this brings us to my final point today. The proper response to God's call if you want to step out in faith, is always obedience. Obedience is the physical expression of faith. If you're not obeying God, you're not actually placing your faith in him. 
Because faith isn't just a feeling. Faith has a physical manifestation. And that physical expression is obedience. Verse 4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. We need more simple obedience. Just simple obedience. And simple is not easy. There's a difference. Remember when Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he said to two fishermen, Peter and Andrew, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible tells us that immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. Simple obedience. If your expression with God's call on your life has just been to add Jesus to an already full life, you have to wonder if you've really responded to God's call at all. It's doubtful that your agenda for your life and God's agenda for your life has been the same since the beginning. When we respond to the call of God, when we activate faith in moving forward, we must be willing to embrace the unknown. That is faith. There's a film, Frozen, Into the Unknown. You know this, you want to sing it. I knew you were going to want to sing it, so I provided it for you today. We're going to watch... Uh, Elsa, as she hears a siren repeatedly calling to her to venture into the unknown, she tries to resist the call, but ultimately she's drawn to follow it. I want you to see if you can see any parallels in the lyrics of this song, what Elsa is singing, and the faith that we've just talked about. Deep down 
I'm not where I'm meant to be. Every day it's a little harder as I feel my power grow. Don't you know there's part of me that loves to Into the unknown. So just like Elsa, just like the Irish, just like Abram, the unknown is waiting. And it's going to require faith to get there, but God is calling each and every one of us on a journey of faith into the unknown, to a land that God will show us. You can stay in the land that is familiar if you prefer, but faith will bring you more than just one potato it will bring you into a whole new place of provision and promise. And I don't know what the unknown may look like to you. It may look like signing up for a connect group that's launching in February. Maybe you've never been a part of connect groups and those are rolled out and you're thinking, ah, I feel like God is calling me to that. Maybe it's that. Maybe the unknown is being a part of the homeless outreach that we're starting uh, over these next weeks to collect different items for the homeless and on January 29th, we're going to deliver them at 2.30. Maybe that's something God is pulling you to do. I don't know what your unknown looks like, but I just want to encourage you that as you head into it, you go with hope and go with faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you for the people in the room that have allowed this word to settle in their heart. I ask that you would take it and you would Cause us to grow throughout the coming days, Father. Help us to lean into faith. Not the faith in our own ability to have faith, but our faith in a God who is always faithful. God, I ask that if there's anyone in the room who yet has hope for tomorrow, that you would begin to stir the hope within them. Those of us who have hope, but our faith is lacking. We, we still don't quite believe that you would use someone as ordinary as us, that you could literally start with nothing. God, would you just reveal to us that you delight in that? And for anyone in the room who has yet to say yes to you, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, if you're ready to make him the Lord of your life, you're watching maybe online or you're sitting in the room and you've considered it and, and you've heard about the option and now you're just sensing that might be the unknown for you to say yes to Jesus, because we know that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be in right standing with him. He was placed in a grave and on the third day rose again, and you're ready to say, yes, I, I believe in that. I put my faith in Christ. If that's you, just pray this prayer after me. In fact, everyone just repeat after me. Father, 
I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was placed in a grave. I believe that he rose on day three. From this day forward, I put my faith in you. I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just said yes to Jesus, please text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. Church, can we just celebrate everyone who said yes this morning? Awesome. Don't forget, Awaken is this Wednesday, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Uh, We bless you. We love you. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.